Welcome back again. Welcome to another exciting episode of COVID the Divine TV. My name is Yujiro Seki. I'm a director, writer, and the producer of the documentary COVID the Divine. COVID the Divine is about the Buddhist sculptors of Japan, and I'm ready to present it for the first time in the world. But before I do so, I thought it would be a great idea to introduce the basic concept of Buddhism and the history of Buddhism so that when you guys finally watch my documentary, you guys can watch at the maximum value. So today, we're going to be talking about the Zen and the meditation. Well, in the Western world, Zen is overused. And we really don't know what Zen is anymore. So I think it's uh, uh, important to get back to the beginning. And uh, we want to understand a little bit more about Zen. So I have uh, this perfect person who can talk about the uh, Zen Buddhism. So I would love to introduce to you uh, Reverend Zenshu Manuel, welcome to our show. Uh, thank you. Thank you for inviting me. And um, I, I am a Zen priest. And um, yes, you're right. Zen, the word has been um, used for all kinds of things. And um, in the, especially in the, in the Western world. Um, and actually, people think they know what it means because how it's used in a popular sense. And even people who um, are Buddhists, um, I found, you know, they didn't quite know what Zen meant or was. And uh, when I travel um, to um, different Asian countries like uh, Malaysia, Mongolia, they didn't know what Zen was either. And so um, I, when I say Chan, then everybody understands Chan because Chan is that's the um, root of uh, the Zen, Soto Zen Buddhism that I practice. So um, it changed to Zen, the word Zen, when it got to um, Japan and um, Ehe um, Dogen was the uh, founder of the Soto Zen uh, tradition. So Zen um, doesn't have a meaning until you practice it. And that's what makes it difficult because it's, it's a practice that you have to live and therefore from the living, um, it's defined and the meaning comes through your life and how you walk it. But the basic practice is Zazen, which is the meditation. And you sit and, you, and through sitting and um, just sitting sometimes which they, which they call Shikantaza, just sitting, um, you come to see and witness the nature of life. And so uh, that is the simple part of it and also the difficult part of it because then it's like you come to the Zen center and you're waiting for all these things to do and there's nothing but to sit. And when I tell my students what to do, I say, go sit. Every time it's like, I'm in trouble, go sit, go sit, go sit. And uh, all the questions they have about the world, um, if you're practicing Zen, the, the answers and the responses, your response to the world should come from uh, the Zazen and the sitting that you do. So um, it's, it's a practice that it feels very austere sometimes and esoteric because it's kind of not something you can actually um, define in, in the truest sense, um, like you can define other, other, but I believe Buddhism's that way anyway, in general, 
whether it's uh, Tibetan Theravadan or uh, any other kind of Buddhism, it's, it's a lived experience of, uh, of awakening. And so um, as the Buddha did. Mm -hmm. Wonderful, wonderful. Now I, I think uh, we want to know more about you. So I know you're famous in your community, but just in case for the people who don't know anything about you, uh, please introduce yourself. Oof, uh, that's a big, <laughs> a big question. So um, I came from a Christian background and, um, you know, raised in the black church. And then um, I went into the Nishrin uh, shoe tradition, which is now um, they call that eventually changed to the Nishrin uh, Daishonin tradition. Although Nishrin shoe is still there, there was some kind of a split. Um, but anyway, I went through that tradition where you chant, and a lot of people have heard that one where you chant Nam Myoho Renge Kyo, and they chant the Lotus Sutra. And I was there for 15 years, and I think, um, and then I switched to. Well, I don't feel I switched, you know, I made the decision, but suddenly I found myself in Zen and um, enjoying the silence after chanting for 15 years. So I was drawn to Buddhism because of its, um, the teachings on liberation and freedom. And I had tried everything in my life, uh, therapy and you know, being an activist and all these kinds of things. And I still felt like um, I was still suffering greatly. And so I, of course, was called to, uh, um, to Buddhism, I felt, through some friends. They were practicing Buddhism. And um, they were also African-American, so that helped. And um, I just began, you know, reading and, and chanting and studying. And um, I noticed the effect on me, you know, I noticed right away that I was changing. I couldn't say what that was in the moment, but I noticed that I was changing and what I couldn't change, at least I could see it. I could see where I was suffering. And before I was just suffering, I couldn't, <laughs> I didn't understand it and I couldn't see it. So um, it enabled me to um, really look at how to live uh, life uh, in, especially in a country where um, um, black people are, are not always accepted or welcomed and the hatred that's, that's in the country. So uh, how does one live a full life, you know, and in a country where you're constantly um, affirming who you are. And so um, the affirmation began to come from myself, from me as I began to study and walk the Buddhist path and the Buddha way of teaching. And I'm grateful, mm. <laughs> completely grateful that um, I took on this, this um, path. And, um, you know, a lot of people ask me, um, well, it's, you know, it's for Asians and, and, <laughs> and I, um, you know, that, that part of it didn't stop me, you know, um, I don't think it's uh, for a particular kind of, of people, but I was definitely cautious of not, um, uh, not honoring where the practice came from. So I, I do honor that. Mm. Wonderful. So 
I know that everybody has a different answer to this, but you know, what 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 does they mean to you? Mm. Um. I think Zen is to me for my for my life is the embodiment of the teachings through the breath. The embodiment of the teachings through the breath. So I feel it's a body practice, whereas people come in trying to intellectualize uh, Zen, and you can you can go so many places uh, if you research and read. You know, if you intellectualize it. So if it's an, an embodied practice, and I saw that right away, you know, through the practitioners, um, then uh, then it is connected to how you're breathing and how you how you're walking. So to me, it's definitely the embodied practice of the breath, and then it's actually um, you can actually see how you're doing by taking on some activities like calligraphy or uh, tea or are just using any of the forms that are presented to you to see how, how you breathe and what happens to you when the mind interrupts the natural flow of the body and of the being, you know, of who we are as human beings. So how you can actually see how the mind um, interrupts uh, and uh, creates um, a lot of the suffering that we have on a daily basis, the daily suffering. So. Mm. so how does it differ from other sect of Buddhism? Is this about the meditation or it's a, yeah. a lot more uh, about- It's the, a lot more, oh. it's a lot more, yes. Um, I, I, um, I feel that because Zen has forms and rituals and ceremonies that it makes it quite different from most of the uh, Buddhism meditation you see in the world, maybe uh, mindfulness, uh, how mindfulness is transmitted, um, secular and otherwise. Um, basically, there's, it's quite different from that. Whereas in, in Zen, because there's rituals and ceremonies and forms, um, you are um, actually learning the teachings. Again, I have to say, by embodying them. So for a person like me, um, who may be working on her, the suffering in the world based on who I am, you know, my race, my gender, and all these kinds of things, just the act of offering incense or to do a bow in the midst of all of that is a, is op it opens my life to the vastness that it is, um, rather than just kind of narrowing down to this kind of relative life and suffering. And so um, not that I'm reaching for anything, I'm not reaching for peace or reaching for liberation or freedom. I'm, I'm embodying the, the forms and the rituals and the ceremonies so that these things appear through me. Uh, peace appears through me, harmony appears through me, liberation comes through my embodied, my body and my embodiment. So, um, so I think most, a lot, especially in our uh, country, the meditation is just common sit and try to be calm and these kinds of things, but that is not. Matter of fact, if you sit, and, and a lot of people know this, you're not calm in the beginning at all, you know, and it may take 
it may take several years and it also may take decades before you start feeling any kind of true peace coming through you rather than peace you're trying to make, you know, while you're sitting, I'm trying to be peaceful. So when I, sometimes when I teach, I go to the places and I say, I want you to stop meditating right now. I just want you to sit still and just sit still and be quiet. Just be in the quietness and just sit still. I don't want you to meditate because when you say meditate, then people start putting in all of their little techniques and then they're trying to do this or trying to do that. And so in the beginning, I just say, just sit silently, just be quiet, silent and and um, still. And then we can grow into um, helping that breath. So the posture is just to help the breath, you know, and if you know, you have to find what that posture is for you that you, that you can breathe and, 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 and take a long time. But in, in Zen, if you're at a Zen center, you're gonna be working, you're gonna be doing the form, you're gonna be bowing, you're gonna be chanting. You're going to be doing all these things. A lot of people say they get like they're just so busy as Zen Center, they can't do it. They just want to sit and, and, and be quiet and not have a lot of things to do. But these things to do are, are exactly giving you sort of like a, a, a micro world in which to work in with things to do that you normally wouldn't do in, in the world. So you're, you're still, it, gives, it kind of creates this world where all the activities are directed um, toward your own awakening, you know? So, which is not what we're doing when we, you know, in the world, we do all kinds of things. If we go to the grocery store that we might be meditating or being mindful, but is that shopping uh, directed toward your awakening? Probably not, most, in most cases. So, um, you know, so Zen is, is just totally wrapped in this idea that, um, you know, the, the, the embodiment of the teachings um, through the forms, through everything that's done, their ceremonies and rituals is how one uh, begins to see the true nature of, of life. So I've been calling it, you know, a lot of people call it sitting practice. I call it the seeing practice. You can see you know, to see, not necessarily just to sit, you know, so some people just sit, but they don't see anything, you know, not to see with these eyes, but to see with one's uh, heart. You know. Wow. <laughs> Very impressive. So it sounds like unless you practice it, yeah, we have no idea what you're talking about. No, it's a, <laughs> that's what the problem is. It's a lived experience. That's the problem and the beauty. So, so a lot of people go, well, I got, you know, or they'll come in and they'll see people doing all these forms and they're going like, that is so crazy. What are they doing? Well, you don't know that. I didn't know that until you do them. If you can stay long enough, if you can stay long enough, and it takes a number of years, I would say it takes it at the minimum seven, maybe, to actually begin to see anything. So it's not, let me have it go on a one day sit. And then after that sit, I'll get, I'll understand Zen, you will not unless you're some kind of special being, and there are some that get it right away. But I would say that's a rare person. But mm -hmm. I think most people have to take their time because it is lived out. All Buddhism is lived out. It's not, that's why the monasteries were created so that you could live, live that life and see, you have a life of seeing and of, of awakening. So um, it's not how meditation in Buddhism has been packed 
and given to people is not what actually happens. And I think that that's what's disturbing for people when they um, are uh, engaged in any kind of um, practice, Buddhist practice. Yeah. So what kind of expectation people have when you oh, come, yeah. when they come to you? I think they, they come to me, they want to um, end, end their suffering. You know, they want me to help them with everything, you know, <laughs> like their daily um, problems, you know, and you, it may start out that way. I, 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 I really I told one teacher, elder teacher, I said, I feel like I'm a mother, you know, <laughs> and uh, she said, well, that's okay. That's what you're going to be in the beginning as a mother. And so that was an interesting thing to be a teacher, but really you're a mother or, you know, a father or, you know, in, in the eyes of some of the, of the students. And I, and I took that on and I do feel like, a, like if I had children and I don't, but if I had children, this is what I would be doing with them. It's what I'm doing with uh, my students, which I'm, I often call aspirants rather than students, because sometimes when you call people students, they they there's this hierarchy that is um, you know can also reenact oppression. So I try to say aspirants, you know, that I have aspirants as opposed to students. And so I think after a while, my students, I ask them to take on um, therapy alongside their practice in Dharma. And um, some of them are a little taken back, like, oh, well, you think I am crazy? And so I asked them to take on therapy so they can see the difference between therapy and Dharma. So therapy will give you the skills um, to, um, you know, walk the, the, the daily life, the interactions you have. So you can survive um, any kind of um, harm verbally, physically, or any kind of past injuries or harm in your life. So you can survive this life and have some tools to help you walk through the world. Now, the Dharma or Buddhism will give you a, a means, a skillful means, which is not necessarily a tool, to do the same thing. However, it's not just a tool, it's a path. So once you get on this path, you're, um, you're actually um, beginning to uh, go deeper and go underneath rather than just every time I get angry, I'll use this tool. That's what you get from therapy or from a workshop or something like that, a therapeutic workshop. That's not to say Buddhism isn't therapeutic, because it is. However, that's not, the, that's not the goal, the intention, or the path. The path is just to walk with life, whatever comes up, no matter what way. And that as you're, you're practicing, you're, you're um, gaining a skillful means, a way to, to approach your life based on what you're learning about life, not what you're directed to learn about life. So sometimes in therapy, they direct you to learn about life, you know, to, to, talk to your mother, to talk to your father, to talk to somebody in your community, your friends, you know, about situations that happen. Whereas in Buddhism, you're not going out to deal with the external people or the world. You're dealing with yourself in that problem. You can, that's not to say you can't do that, but that is not the, that's not the end of it. That's not the, the way what we're doing is um, 
trying to develop uh, ways to to deal with things like that. We can we do develop ways, but however, that's not the goal. That's not the end of it. That's not the um, that's not the path. It is a lifetime path in which you're committed and devoted to awakening to life, which is not what therapy is about. <laughs> you don't go to your therapist expecting that, you know. So. So if you have trouble, you can use the trouble. I did. I used the things that bothered me, the things I suffered with as fodder, as uh, to walk the path. Sometimes they call it mud, right? The mud in the world, to walk in the mud uh, to, in order to experience the lotus, right? The lotus in the mud. That's the most, um, I think, a core teaching and a wonderful teaching, right? Of Buddhism that lets us know you're, you're, the mud's still going to be there. And is the mud drowning you and smothering you or is it nurturing you? You know, is it nurturing, you know, so you learn how to use that mud to nurture you rather than you drowning in it in quicksand and yelling for help all the time, help, help, help. You know, so, so that's the difference. So then um, say, uh, you know, just, you know, meditating as a tool. It's not a tool, you know, it's not a tool at all. And it's not a technique, it's not technology as some people see it as. And usually people who say that I know right away they haven't um, probably um, walked the path, I would say at least for 10 years or a decade. Yeah, I think people think it's going to happen overnight. And it could, like I said, if you're very special. <laughs> but <laughs> but um, most of us are just ordinary beings. <laughs> and so um, it, it's, it, it's a lifetime practice. Um, even learning the forms and the rituals and ceremonies are constant you ne- in Zen. You never know everything. And that's the beauty of it. You never know. Every, every time there's something to learn, something, I will never know everything. I'll never know all the rituals and all the ceremonies. Even in this country, the, the, the uh, teachers who have practiced the longest do not know all of everything. They do not because it's, it's impossible. And that's the beauty. It's, it's so vast that there's no end. It's like swimming in the ocean. You just keep swimming until you can't, until you're dead, you know, you die. Hmm. So I'm just curious, so is this wrong to look for some kind of a spirituality while uh, you practice Zen or uh, because Western people sometimes uh, they equate uh, religion as a um, Christianity, maybe Jesus Christ and, uh, you know, be with the gods and all this. So uh, I feel like a Zen is a, a different uh, creature, but, you know, maybe I'm wrong. Please tell us. Yeah, it it is different. And a lot of times people don't even call it a religion. You know, a lot of people don't call it Buddhism. You know, they call it a philosophy. So everyone has a different view. And I think it's all of that. It could, it could not be a religion. <laughs> it could not, it could be a spirituality. It could be a, philo- a, a philosophy. I think it depends on how you're, how you're using it in your life and how you embraced it. And I think that that's why there's so many various ideas about it, you know, but um, to me, um, it's, it has a deep, um, and I'm writing about that right now, a deep 
I think all religions do or spiritualities do have a deep shamanistic uh, root to them, but that has been cut off and severed from the practice so that it could fit into modern life, modern society, um, especially into the Western world. And so the, the, um, the, a lot of what the path was um, is no longer. So, so then when we go in, you know, like if you're on a shamanic path, the, the person who comes in to be a shaman doesn't go, okay, when does this end and what am I going to get out of this? You know, they, <laughs> they just go into the path because they know this is going to be the way they're going to live, you know, for the rest of their life. Or say like a hermit, you know, people who take on hermit, becoming a hermit. I, you know, I think that that's a great example of how um, a, a many people embodied Zen in, in, in the early days. And, um, and so... Um, to try to get something out of it um, to gain is very difficult. And that's not to say you don't get something, <laughs> but to go in with that mindset of trying to get something out of Zen, you end up empty handed. And there's a, there's a, uh, there's a, um, a quote that says, Zen is good for nothing. And when I first heard that, and I was like, I, I don't, I'm, I'm not um, really good at, names and quotes and books, you know, just off the top of my head. But Zen is good for nothing. It's a very, um, it's a quote that's often said in Zen practice. And, and then people were like, well, what am I doing here then? You know, if it's good for nothing. And so when you practice eventually over time, which I practice with those words, Zen is good for nothing. It has nothing, the nothing part has nothing to do with things outside of you, Zen is good for nothing. It gets you to nothing. It gets you to nothingness. It gets you to vastness in your life so that you can experience um, uh, peace. You know, that you can, that, um, like I said, your life is more like the ocean, you know, more vast like a meadow or a field, you know, that, that there, there's some kind of illumination in an open field as opposed to a field that's that's full of all of our concepts and our projections, our perceptions and all these kinds of things, which we come in with. We need to, those, to know those things and be aware of them. And that's what mindfulness gives you an awareness of those perceptions and projections and conceptions and all of those things, you know, so that when you're aware of it, you know, um, oh, I'm in that state of, of, of conceptualizing, which I'm doing now in order to communicate with you, there is some conceptualization going on because we're human beings and we're embodied. And so hopefully in the conceptualization, it, I can stimulate um, some kind of curiosity in, uh, or, or inquiry with you about your life so that you can um, maybe begin to sit and then everything I say goes away. And it becomes what you what you experience, you know, uh, along the way, which is like, we're not here to just um, talk about what Buddha said. I think Buddha would be di very disappointed. Uh, he came back and saw that that's all we were doing was mimicking him. I think his point was, you know, um, you know, is to turn our own light inward to see our to see like. From, from our own hearts, you know, and, um, and then from there be able to coexist as, as people together, as, um, you know, 
you know, living period on this, on this planet. So you can make it a spirituality, you can make it a religion, you can make it a path. Even some people say it's the pathless path because <laughs> it is, it's, it, they're really, you don't really, there isn't, okay, roll out that path for me so I can walk it. <laughs> it it's not going to happen. So um, what happens is just like life. You take a step, but you don't really know where you're stepping. And then you take another step, but you don't know where that, where you're stepping. And so that's, that's, that's what Zen mimics is life. It does mimic that life where you really don't know. And the, the unknown and the discovery in the unknown is, is just profound to me. You know, when I do, when I'm able to open up to that kind of an experience, which um, keeps me not trapped in whether it's a religion, a philosophy, or a spirituality, that it doesn't matter to me, you know. Um, and I think I would probably couch it more in religion because of the way we look at religion and not because it's organized, because everything is organized, even if it's an indigenous practice, it's organized. So, um, you know, I guess uh, that you're following a teaching makes it religious, you know, like Jesus Christ. You know? So you're following a, a person's teachings. But the Buddha espoused that you would, you would go beyond that. Like, um, like we really aren't trying to be Buddhist because you can't be. Now, maybe you can be Christian. I don't know. But you can't be really Buddhist because that's not exactly what, what I, I, when I studied the teachings and walked the teachings, I think it was just an invitation to walk into the open field, the open forest, the everything, the vastness of life. And, uh, and the invitation is to come on out to that. Ordination just keeps you, puts you out there further. <laughs> it really drops you out there. And so, um, you know, I think that, that the Buddhist uh, experience and being in the woods is, is exactly what he was trying to bring to us in his teachings. So we didn't, you know, necessarily have to go sit in the woods uh, for many days and many nights and uh, starve ourselves to death or whatever. So I think that, that um, yeah, we're not really becoming anything, you know, in this practice. That can be mind-boggling because that's just so opposite from what we're taught. You know, when we're little, go out and become somebody. <laughs> and then you go out and you do this and people are like, wait a minute, you didn't become somebody. I had a friend tell me that. <laughs> she said, I don't know why you trained in, in something that has no money to it. <laughs> you trained for decades in something that has no money. And yet, when she said that many, many years ago, I kind of like, what? And then I, um, I was fine with that, you know, but I may have no money, but I do have money and at the same time, but I'm not, um, it's not my uh, foundation. It's not my foundation for life, like it is for others. And I'm not, I'm also um, feel supported in, in the work, you know, in the beginning, no, not supported because I was still training. So it was very difficult. I felt like a beggar, you know, uh, for everything, you know, to, in order to do the practice. But as it, as time went on and now um, people are supporting and now 
I give back to all of those people who gave to me. I give, I give back so much, you know, because I want to, you know, and um, hopefully it's tenfold what they gave me and it's beyond the dollars that they, that they helped me with. And so now I can see that, but that, that is an evolution. And to me, I ended up in the same place as that person who said that, you know, that we're both doing the same kind of thing and uh, teaching, she teaches something else, but you know, she's more of a therapist and she gets, you know, money here and there. We're both, I, no, she's no wealthier than I am. And yet she asked me, why would I train in something that, ha that you don't become anything, you know? And so uh, I, I'm glad I didn't become anything, that um, the practice was good for nothing and that, that um, because with the nothingness, so much can happen. So many other things can you know, happen and come into my life. So abundant, so abundant. Wonderful, wonderful. So now I would like to ask you about the Shinkantaza and the Zazen. Uh, you use them uh, interchangeably, but are they the same thing? No. Yeah, no. They, well, some people do use them together because one is inside the other, right? So Shikantaza is um, used just when one is, I think I would say just sitting and, and, there, and there's nothing else. There's no, uh, we get to practice that when we do sashins, what we call sashins. And a sashin is usually um, uh, a day, three days, seven days, eight days, I've done nine days, or they can go months and months and months where there's um, mostly it's focused on the sitting and, and, and very little work. Where zazen, you can be in the world and you can be in your life, even doing zazen at a center, when we're doing zazen, that might there may be a few hours in, in the day that you do zazen, but then you go off to work or you go, you know, people go do various things. It's not, or even during zazen, there's a lot of things going on. We're not just sitting. So the just sitting is more like, she can tie every time I think of that, I feel like that's, that's more like um, enacting what, hermits do. If you can just think of a hermit lifestyle where that, that they just said they do feed themselves, wash their clothes and those kinds of things in themselves. But their whole life is just sitting. There's no, um, no uh, frills life, no whole bunch of chanting and forms and this and that. It's just sitting. That's what Sikha does. It's just sitting no other extra. And Zazen is how we sit, the way in which we sit, you know, which is, um, you know, some people don't even call it meditation, you know, a lot. And um, that's the thing about Zen. There's so many, um, you know, you could have so many priests down here talking about Zazen from um, different, different um, perspectives. I, I've experienced um, Zazen much like Shikantaza to me, you know, a lot, um, but it feels like Shikantaza is broader in my experience and more and more vast in depth and length and everything, whereas Zazen um, feels a, a more of a, 
it feels that way an experience for me more of something I do maybe for an hour or how maybe I how I walk in the world with Zazen or like if I'm at the post office and the line's really long and everybody's complaining this is pre-COVID and everybody's you know complaining about whatever um I just sink into that that zazen and some people say oh well are you meditating no I feel like my body just drops into the moment I'm still there I can hear other people talking and maybe even you know if they talk to me I may not but I feel like something happens to my body when I drop into zazen so I'm not necessarily in a state for uh shikantaza when I'm standing in line at the post office, but I can do zazen, you know, I, and that's because it's, it's in my body. I don't say, oh, now I'm going to do zazen. It just happens because over the years, I've, this is how I've been trained to respond to life. So my body naturally responds that way. Now, from the, from the sitting, I don't go and go, I think I better do some zazen right now, you know, because the post office is going crazy. It just happens automatically. You know, and so that's how Zaza is experienced in my life. Where Shikantaza, I, I have to make an effort to really um, do that practice. That's, that is more difficult to me to just sit and nothing else. Uh, it's more difficult for me, you know, maybe everyone. Wonderful. That's how I can talk about it by my experience. Yeah, there's a lot of definitions if you, you know, look it up. You know, no, 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 no. But we are interested in your definition today. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so what is the right posture of a zazen, and uh, what's the point of looking at the white wall? So when I did it, it oh, the wall, crazy. Like, I know. <laughs> yeah, the wall, the wall facing the wall. Um, so you want to know where that came from? You know. Yes. So. Okay, so um, it came from. Uh, Bodhidharma, and um, Bodhi, Bodhidharma was a teacher who came from India, and um, I imagine, I, I don't know what century, I used to know this, it's just these things, don't, I don't teach this so much anymore, Doesn't matter. He, yeah, he came from India to China, and he was like, I'm here to teach, you know? And, and the people were like, um, you know, of the land where they weren't interested really, you know. And at that time, in, you know, in early Buddhism, there were a lot of people with a lot of ideas about Buddhist teachings and going around teaching. And, you know, they probably had a lot of scholars in China when he went and already, so they didn't need him. And so um, they he, you know, he wanted to, um, I think, meet, yeah, he wanted to meet the emperor because when you come and you're a teacher, you, you, you're definitely, it's formal and expected to meet who's ever governing the land because the governing of the land and how the people are, and what the people are doing spiritually and religiously go together. You know, so um, so he wanted to meet the emperor because let him know he was there, and um, the emperor wasn't interested. 
in meeting him. And so, and the people weren't interested in what he was teaching at all. And so um, he just went and he sat and looked at the face of the wall for years, for many, many years. And, um, and then came out of that and, and, and was uh, teaching the people. And then the emperor wanted to know, well, who's this guy? You know, who, where, who are you learning this? And they said, we're learning is from this guy, Bodhidharma. And um, he want, then the emperor wanted to meet him. But by the time that happened, Bodhidharma had returned to, he had left and returned. There's a whole story about how, you know, the emperor misses the teaching and Bodhidharma, you know, and, but anyway, Bodhidharma is the one that brought the facing the wall uh, when you sit and it's, it's so you're, you're seeing nothing and, um, and you're not distract, you, you know, it kind of reduces distraction, of course. Um, it also can put you to sleep if, you, <laughs> if you're not, uh, you know, a used to that, you know, just, you know, so you're not really looking at the wall, you're at the wall, but your, your, your gaze is down. So it's, you know, he, he went in that way, you know, it's a way of going inward. And, um, but the whole idea of the wall, he brought that, he brought the wall sitting. And it's difficult for some people. Um, I loved it from the beginning. Uh, you know, it felt like I, when I sat there, I immediately went into a cave of my own, sitting on my own Zafu and Zabutan and in my own space. And uh, even though there's all these people <laughs> sitting right next to you, um, you don't feel the people as bodies as much as you feel the energy. So with, with that, you learn energy too. So after a while, I was able to um, distinguish who was walking by, by the sound of their, their walk, their feet. You know, that's, 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 the, that's how your senses are heightened by that. Whereas, you know, I could, if I were probably facing outward, I could probably take a peek and see. But, you know, you're facing the wall. So everything, so you're developing um, this deep, I would call it intuition. A very, which is part of any shamanic path. You know, you're developing this intuition where you don't have to see with your eyes, but you feel energy and, and you know, just, and you trust that knowing on top of it, that this is what's happening. So you're not making up in your mind what's happening. What's happening is what you're sensing. And so state, I think facing the wall for me uh, intensified that the intuition that already, it was already being intense by chanting a lot in the Nishran tradition, but it, 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 it got further, you know, in sitting uh, facing the wall. And, um, and so even when you're sitting out, you still have that sense of facing the wall still, you know, and when you're, you know, because so you're really, I like that um, saying, uh, groping in the dark always, because life is in the darkness, you know, so you're not deciding this is what's happening. You may do it because that's a habit, and then you, just, and then you see how that might get you in trouble, 
you know, because you've decided, you know, well, that's, that's, that looks like a bowl to me. And they told me to come get the teacup, but that, those are bowls. So I'm not going to get those. And it turns out those are the tea bowls. <laughs> those are the teacups. <laughs> They're just big, you know, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. So, you know, how do you get in the way, you know? And um, so the wall helps you kind of just be in the darkness of life, in the mystery, in the discovery. Everything is about the discovery. And that is what is so important about Zen practice, not knowing, not knowing, not knowing. Wow, that's a very deep. But uh, so how many hours do you meditate and uh, how many hours do you, do you expect the beginners to meditate? <laughs> <laughs> There's no expectations about hours. I definitely don't put that on students. Um, I, I know in some places they say you need to sit an hour or 45 minutes. If, if you're new, I, don't, I, don't, I didn't start like that. I started with five minutes a day. <laughs> and you start just where you are and see if in fact this is a practice for you. It is not for everyone. I always tell people this is not a practice for everyone and it's not good for everybody. This practice could not be for you to sit in such a way may not be good to your own physical or mental health. So you need to know that and find that out and then be able to let it go. You can do yoga, which is also meditation or you can do drumming or you could do some other kinds of things but meditation is not for everyone. And so you'll, you might discover that right away. But um, uh, I say, start where you are. For me, it's, it's been, <laughs> I've said, you know, eight, 10 hours a day at some times in my life. And then um, even when I was just chanting, it'd be six hours. And then at the, and then now it's a lot less. So your practice changes over time and you have to allow it to be that way. But I would say if you're in the beginning, you're going, oh, I don't feel like it today, so I won't. Then you're not gonna really develop that intuition I was talking about and that sense of vastness and that sense of being okay in the unknown and discovering. You're not gonna develop that by off and on, off and on. Because it is like developing a, a muscle you know, in, in a sense. So that's why I could just drop into Zazen without saying, I'm going to do Zazen now because it's crazy right now. I don't have to do that. You know, um, it just happens automatically in my body, but that was because I set so many hours and hours and hours and hours. So it's like, <clears throat> instead of training the mind, which is a lot of practices, Zen trains the body to me. That's my experience. The body gets trained. And I kind of noticed that I think after about, oh, 15 years of Nishran and then another 10 or so of Zen, although I did more, I started noticing how different I was than other people. Like if I were in circles or groups and um, I realized, I said, oh, you've been trained to be different. <laughs> You're different because of your training. And I, I, at first I was a little bit sad about that because I didn't want to be trained. And then, <laughs> but then I'm, I'm also very happy because the training was not so much a training, but a shaping, um, shaping my life by the breath of life. 
and shaping my life by awareness. So it's not so much like I'm a trained monkey, you know, or something, <laughs> but I am shaped by what I did, you know, all, all that sitting, sitting and seeing, sitting and seeing. So now I do sit a lot, but I'm writing a lot. Like I have three books and lined up and I'm writing about three different books at the same time. And in that I have to sit in order to write those books. I can't write those books from um, um, research or from my mind. Um, I only can write from my experience of the practice and um, and then it takes a long time to put it in words because the experience is wordless. <laughs> and um, and I, in most of my writing, you'll find I didn't say I did this and this is what happened because there's no A plus B equals C, you know? So you'll read my work and you'll come out with, now, what did she say? You might have read the whole book <laughs> and come out. And that's, that's exactly where I want people to be, is um, uh, maybe more confused, more, uh, more in uncertain, and in the darkness of life, and in the discovery of life, and excited about it, though. Not, not depressed about it, but excited about that. And no matter what it is, you know, a lot of my friends are doing a lot around um, Dharma and race and racialized, you know, conditioning and things like that. Still, even in that, how can you be in the unknown despite how you experience life? How can I be in the unknown of even who I think I am, you know, and how and and, how, and, and, and just allowing that to be and still know, oh yeah, you know, you are, you know, black, you're a woman, you're this, you're that, you know, I could still be all of that. And, but still hold it like, like a discovery, like what is it though? But what is it? And that's what I write from. So I feel like my meditation is really right now part of my um, uh, writing. It's also part of my teaching, um, teaching students. Cause after a while, when you become a teacher, um, you have the meditation and the seeing is how you interact with your aspirants, you know, those who uh, want to talk with you about their lives. And so that's very different than just you. So it's you looking through your life and sending and then being in, in, in interacting with others around that. And that takes a particular kind of seeing and of sitting. So sitting, I think every day, I would say up to probably an hour still a day, maybe an hour a day is my sitting. And that doesn't mean I might do the hour straight. I still will, you know, even if clean of writing, just sitting, I would, I might do 20, 20, 20, 20 minutes, 20 minutes, 20 minutes, you know, or 30, 30, you know, or a whole hour, <laughs> you know, depending on how the day is. The, the main thing is, is there time in my life? And I say, oh, it's time to meditate. It's not on my to-do list. So it happens naturally, like suddenly I just sit down and, and there's silence and stillness. And then I just allow that to be as long as that, you know, can happen. I don't often clock it, you know, either. You know, I just allow it to be just my life. So it's not on my to-do list. 
so I don't have to beat myself up. Oh, I missed the meditation. I'm not meditating. Oh man, should should I tell anybody I didn't meditate today? You know, so we set up these things where we do more harm to ourselves, you know, because of, you know what we think we should be doing, and that's just not what the practice is about. If you feel that way, I would I tell people just don't meditate because you're just causing more suffering, you know, in your life. Just stop and wait till this arises naturally and organically in your life. Wonderful, wonderful. I would love to ask you something personal, but it could uh, help a lot of people. Uh, you told me that uh, since your identity as an African-American woman, uh, yeah. in the American society, you felt you were not welcome and uh, uh, sometimes feeling discriminated. So yeah. I think a lot of people uh, suffer from discrimination and racism, but uh, sometimes uh, it's a very difficult to overcome that by asking for external help. Like for example, like uh, uh, I hope the politicians would make our lives better or you know, maybe activists can uh, help me or you know, I have yeah. to participate in activism, activism and all this. Uh, but you know, how does Zen help uh, feeling of discrimination and that there's something that we have no control over sometimes. Right, so we, yes, it's always the question because um, many things are imposed upon us, right? In our lives, um, the things our parents do, our community does, our, our church or whatever, our temples, things that we, that are not in our control. And so of course, oppression and racism and sexism and on and on, homophobia are not in our control, you know, necessarily in, in the sense of uh, I'm gonna stop it today. So I definitely was a very strong activist, social activist and um, organized marches and, uh, you know, lived my life with um, the view that I'm gonna use my life uh, to, to right the wrongs, you know, the injustices in the world and in this country because, so when I first started out, though, those actions were based on the depth of my wounds and my wounding. So while I was out trying to end suffering out there, I was causing suffering to people right around me and myself. I was doing some of the same things in a different way, you know, and people don't, they don't have control of me stopping me from hurting them, you know, but I was. So I began to see that in, through my Zen practice, you know, through the sitting, I began to see the ways in which I, uh, you know, hurt people. Now, my, the way I hurt people or harm people um, may not be systematized like in our country, you know, like are um, made into um, a place in which like I don't, I may not be able to stop that person from getting resources maybe for the moment, but not forever, you know, in their life because I'm not the government or, you know, I don't have a system to keep that person from not having those things. So um, having resources in their life or be able to live a full and joyful life. 
So I feel Zen, what it did is um, turn me toward the ways in which I, what consciousness I have, you know, that would create harm for myself and others. When I saw that, I was able to use that to see what was happening uh, around oppression, you know, racism and sex, all these kinds of things based on our based on how we're embodied, I began to see, um, you know, how that was happening on a spiritual level on a zen, in a Zen way, I guess, um, if there is a, such a way. But I began to see um, the, the importance of consciousness. And um, I began to see how um, the ways in which we uh, appear and think we are human beings um, can be distorted and, um, and that distortion causes uh, harmful acts. And so, um, so my teaching is in my writing is pretty much my activism because I found that trying to go out and change like to, to shout and scream wasn't for me and, um, because I, I got exhausted and I felt like I wasn't well in that. And also I, it took me away from doing what I needed to do. I mean, it was even Toni Morrison who said, racism is a distraction. That's just a piece of that, that act is that these things can distract us from doing the work we need to do. So I started to see all of these things that are imposed upon us, no matter where it comes from, family, community, society, or the things that we can use as fodder, uh, saying to, uh, for our lives, they're the mud in which we can use as nutrients to the lotus part of our, lotus flower of our life. So no matter where we go, what we do, um, there's always going to be the mud. Now, what are we going to do with the mud? You know, and, um, and how are we going to um, use it? And I think that's what Zen taught me is how to uh, just see it as this as life. Everything is this life. And these things come. And how now am I going to live through them, not around them, I used to try to go around them. Well, I can get away from racism by just not being around white people. Well, you know, you got to go to work. You got to go to the store. You got to go to the bank. You got to, <laughs> it's just like crazy. What are you going to do? Drop off the planet? And so, so oh, no, I'll just stay home, <laughs> which I did do. I'll just not deal with the world. And so, but then there's always still something. Something will come in. So um, we're, I think we're fortunate that we can't control everything <laughs> in life, but we're unfortunate when we believe that we can't use what comes. So the backlash this country has gone through, I call it a backlash, some people may not, but the back backlash that we're going through, we just went through in the four years with our last leadership here in this country, to me was painful. And it, it, I could use a whole lot of words but at the same time, I remained in that place in which that I could use everything that was being said and done, you know, and that um, I could see 
that this these things were always there. You know, we were just blind to it and are just turned our heads away from it. And uh, we didn't acknowledge these things were in our country and now we had to acknowledge it. And so it was, it, you know, to me, life is more fascinating that way. If I'm discovering through, through the things that are coming to me, even if it hurts, you know, relationships are like that, right? You know, you, you meet somebody, then it starts hurting, you know, <laughs> things start happening, you know? And so that's, that's when it starts. That's when, you know, here it is, here's the mud, here's the fodder. Now, how are you going to grow in this? How are you going to be nurtured by it? And um, at the same time, knowing that it, it hurts or, you know, it's something you don't want to do, you want to avoid. And so there's no avoiding life. And I think um, people don't understand that um, the darkness is here, here for us to, to befriend it and to recognize it and to know that that's where we came from. That's where we're, we live in, the dark unknown. We came from darkness and to to run from it like it's some kind of, like everything is bad about it, uh, I think le keeps us from knowing how to dwell in it. And so then you have suicide, you know, you have all kinds of people getting really sick because they don't know how to, to manage. And we're not taught how to manage it. You can go through a lot of therapy and I have yet to find uh, any therapy that helps to deal with, you know, maybe there are some, I'm not, because I haven't gone to everybody in the world that will deal with how to dwell in the darkness, how to open to what terrorizes us. That's when darkness comes. And so we, when we get terrorized and when the fear comes, how can we um, use that fear as an indication, as a signal to awaken and to, um, and to walk differently in the world from that moment on, as soon as that, whatever that is, that that awakens you. Some people, it could be pow, kapow, it could be a car accident, kapow, a loss of a friend, a loss of a parent. You know, see, these things happen to us all the time. And so how can we use that, that, that life, at, uh, the things that happen to us in life as an awakening and as an indication that we are alive and that we can use our lives, you know, um, to, um, for the, for the sake of humanity in, in, in different ways. There's not only one way. We always just do the one way, you know, and um, you know, it's okay not to march. You can do something else and, so, and it's okay to march. You know, all of, it's, all of it's good, all of it's good fun. Wow. What, uh, for the people who don't know anything, anything about Zen, so can we do, uh, any simple Zen meditation at home? <laughs> That's the problem with Zen. It's, uh, yeah, you can. <laughs> it's just, it's basically sitting, you know? It's, Zen is a body practice. You take your body <laughs> and you stop and you sit. And it's, it's much easier to sit with others because you can use their each energy and, and be supported you know, by, you know, that's how we live in it. We live in our little boxes that we created, you know, some time ago, we used to live in villages where we could support each other, you know, where families didn't have to raise their kids by themselves. The whole village raised the kids. So it was okay to have kids because you could, everybody's going to feed each other, you know, here these single 
parents taking care of babies. That just was not the way. And it's not the way, you know, for us to, to live. And so I think it's better to, for me, it was better to sit with others, to sit in a sangha so that you awaken together. And that's the way of saving all beings is really sitting together and awakening together and being able to talk about and share, even if you don't talk about it, just share your life with others based on the awakening rather than sharing your life with others based on what movies you like, what music you like, what car you drive, where you work and all those kind of other things we based our life on to share. But we, how, what would it be like if we all were sharing our awakening instead of, you know, our similarities, uh, likes and things we favor. So I think for it, if you want to start Zen practice, the best thing is to go to a Zen center or a Zen Sangha. You can start in a small one. You don't have to go to a big center and, um, and just be with the people in silence and um, offer incense, you know, be, be a part of that and, um, or whatever they, you know, I don't know what, you know, different ones do different things, different sanghas do different things. So, but learn the forms, you know, you know, one of the first forms you learn is bowing and people are really like, oh no, I'm not bowing. <laughs> you know, that's too submissive for me. And I remember when I first saw that, I was like, oh God, you know, I said, I, I, I don't want to do that. I'm not Japanese, you know? <laughs> and then, but I kept doing it. I kept doing it anyway, even though I didn't like, uh, and, and it, you know, especially a person who's black, it's kind of like bowing to the master, you know, like you're bowing to the slave master. Cause you know, we have slave descendancy in our bones. And so I realized that I'm not bowing to anyone. <laughs> I, I, I'm not bowing to, even though if I bow to you, I'm bowing to, toward you, to a life. I'm bowing to life. I'm bowing to your ancestors. You know, so you, you know, you can begin Zen with a bowing practice at home too, to bow, to bow three, four, nine times and see how that feels in your body. You know, just don't decide what you're doing, just bow and then see what, you know, several times and see what is, what, how, does it stop your thinking and all your perceptions when you put your, your forehead right about here to the ground. And if you don't even, uh, can't do it physically, if you sit in a chair like I do, you just can do that with your mind. You know, like you can do Qigong with your mind. You don't have to even move your body. You can do Qigong with your mind. And so you can <laughs> do that bowing, just kind of coming down to um, away from all the things that are, are fluttering in your mind to just, you know, create a, a space where you're, you're away from that for a moment. And, and within your own self and in the, in the moment and in this life right now, rather than what you're doing tomorrow, what you're doing in the next hour, what you're gonna do tomorrow, you know, which can be difficult. You could almost miss all your appointments, you know, that way. But um, just start by sitting and I would say do a few bows, you know, to, if you, and then go and sit in a sangha. And um, they're not gonna be people you choose you know, like, oh, I don't, I don't like that person. I don't like that person. I, oh, they, they're, that sangha is this, that sangha is that. But no matter what sangha you go to, 
it's going to be difficult because there's people there. And so um, I teach this all the time. So my sangha was mixed uh, uh, with various races, multicultural in the beginning. Usually Zen is pretty not multicultural, pretty dominantly white and male, at least when I came in, I think maybe that's changing, I don't know. But then our sangha changed to um, it's all black. Uh, It changed, evolved there on its own. And I said, now we're really gonna have trouble (laughs) to all the students. They were like, what? Because they thought now it's gonna be all hunky-dory. And in one way, maybe it is. Maybe it's not having to deal with the things you might deal in a cross-cultural sangha. But there is gonna always be something to deal with because there's always people. So then we have to deal with the sufferings and the things black people do to black people. (laughs) The harm and suffering we do to each other. So it, it doesn't end. So go somewhere sit and observe yourself in it, in the space with other people. And then without words, you know, without trying to think it out, without trying to hurry up and make a friend you can hold on to, but just go and use the environment to be. I tell my students, if they're going to Zen Center, just go eat food, eat their food, (laughs) you know, sleep, do the work you have to do, write poetry, look at the trees. And, um, and, and not try to do the things that you do when you're in the world. You know, I've had students and they'll come to me and they, they hurry up and they get in a relationship. Well, I met this guy, you know, I met this girl. You know, they're doing the same thing they did when they in the world and um, uh, their same <laughs> habits and patterns, you know, like it's a, you know, when like they're at a club or something, you know. <laughs> You know, so it's the, you, you come in and just for that short period of time, I ask them, can you not, especially if you're the type of person that has to have a relationship, can you not do that? Can you say no to that guy, no to the, you know, to that person, you know, um, not now. And, and, and can you have that time for yourself, the six months? Oh, well, I'm going to be here for several years. Well, then that's on you. Then do it for several years to not do what you do out there. And that's very difficult for them, you know, the students. So, so I think you can do that at home too, is to let go of some of the habitual things that you do, you know, that you do all the time to make yourself feel comfortable about being in the dark and the unknown and, 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 um, and see how that feels. You know, that's just a little bit of a testing to see if you really want to go into this, um, this place of just, of just being. You know, and uh, there's so many movies you can watch too. There's a movie on Dogen that just shows you what it's like to be in a monastery in the old days. And I just watched this documentary called One Mind. It's about this Chinese monastery. And it gives you that stealing of, of what the, in the body of what the practice is. Because they don't really say too much in One Mind. It's available now. You can get it. And, and they don't say too much, but you walk away from that film like, wow, what happened? You know, there's not a lot of Dharma teaching, like Dharma talks are not, that's not Buddhism. That's just an extra little uh, cherry for us to, <laughs> you know, we just love it. Westerners love it. I call it Buddha TV. 
you know, but it's just because we want to take in all this information so we can know what to do. But it doesn't, it really, in the end, um, it's not going to stick and it's not going to sustain you. And you can write, I have so many journals where I've been and I've taken so many notes and they're all in the journal, all my notes, but <laughs> I'd ha take all those journals down and read them to remember what I learned, you know, so that's not the practice, you know, so, so yeah, sitting, a little sitting, a little bowing, and a little letting go of some of your habits with people, especially, you know, the, you know, especially when you get scared or you feel um, afraid of being alone, you know, with, with you know, check in and see what that is and, um, and, uh, and just see, see if, if uh, this practice is for you. I do recommend that people have a therapist when they start Zen, I do, because it's, it, it can, um, you know, um, trigger a lot of things in you that you didn't know was there. And you do need somebody to help you with that. So a professional uh, of the healing arts to help you with that, the, the teachers, some teachers are trained that way. A lot of teachers are psychologists, you know, but still I feel like they, to be your teacher and your psychologist is, is, uh, is too much. I don't understand that one. I'm not that, so I don't know, but I think it's very, it would be very hard to keep that uh, <laughs> apart if I were that, you know, so I don't know, I have to, Guess talk more to my psychologist Dharma teachers and see how do they do that. But um, Buddhism is not psychology, although psychology is in, in there. There is the Abhidharma, which is a, a, the study of the mind by the Buddha. That's very much like psychology. So, but it's not the psychology in the way that we use it, the way that, again, we kind of use it on the surface, like we use meditation and how we use yoga, how we use a lot of practice. We only take little pieces of it. We don't, we don't really know what it's really about, what the ingredients are, because we don't take it on as a life. Um, yeah. Wonderful, wonderful. <laughs> we really had a great time today. So yes, uh, I would like to ask you, so what's going on in your world right now? And uh, I would love to ask you about your social media and the, the books that you're writing. So okay. tell us everything. All right. So you can find uh, me on Facebook at Zinju Earthland Manual. And um, also um, you can find out about the books I have written, The Way of Tenderness, uh, Awakening Through Race, Sexuality, and Gender. And I have a new book out called The Deepest Peace, and it's poetry, Zen poetry, and prose. That's the newest book. And you can go to my website, zenju.org, Z-E-N-J-U.org. And you can see all of the books and essays and things like that. Wonderful, wonderful. So... Yes, so if you think this information is useful, make sure to subscribe my YouTube channel, follow me on Twitter and Instagram, and like me on my Facebook because that's how we do it in the 21st century. So thank you so much, uh, Reverend Zenju, for coming here and uh, talk to us about the Zen and the meditation. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me. Take care of yourself. All right, bye-bye. Wonderful.